This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's O Ship. This week, we've got another four-way panel, including myself, of three very interesting entrepreneurs and investors. And they all have to be involved with the Miami tech scene. First up, we've got Chris Adamo. Chris is an investor. He's an advisor. He's the co-founder of Letterhead, which is this very kind of innovative solution for growing and monetizing letters, uh, newsletters, excuse me. And most importantly, uh, he's a collector of very interesting shirts. Will Weinrob, uh, who I've known for a while, he was the co-founder of Live Ninja, a very, very cool company that got sold to Nettofern, and most recently has been the CEO and co-founder of OnChain Studios, which is an up-and-coming NFT studio. And then we're rounding that panel out with Adam Garfield. Adam is the former co-founder and CEO of SpeedyTab, which is the industry leader in native uh, ordering and payment solutions for the restaurant industry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say, say former. I think it's still actually up and running, and he can clarify that for us. But he's also the VP of Wix Restaurants at Wix.com, the very awesome website development platform. All of these guys, beyond all their great kind of entrepreneurial accomplishments on their own, are also the co-founders of a new investment firm called Flamingo Capital, built and bred here in, in sunny South Florida. As a lot of you may have read in the news, there's a growing tech scene down here. And that's what they're here about today. They're going to talk to us about building and growing Miami's tech scene and all the challenges that come along with being uh, starting a new investment firm. And I'm sure we're going to have some very interesting moments and some O-Ship stories along the way. And with that, here we go with another week of O-Ship. Guys, welcome to Ship. I'm glad you're here. Hey, Freddie. Thanks for having us. I hope I did your uh, intros justice. I tried not to butcher them too much. Again, you guys, uh, you've done a lot of you have done so many interesting things. It was hard to trim it down to something that I felt like did you justice and, and set you up well uh, for talking about uh, your new adventure with, with Flamingo Capital. I will say that, uh, you know, I consciously went out of my way to wear pink today in the spirit of supporting Flamingo Capital. And I think Adam is the only guy on brand today with both the pink in the shirt, the Miami Day repping, and the pink in the pictures behind them. Impressive. Uh, on, on point. We'll, we'll straighten these other guys out. You must be the true marketer of the group, uh, you know, future branding efforts. <laughs> so, I have a full flamingo suit that I will wear at some point, but I'm waiting. I love it. I love it. I get, I get down on that. I'm, I, for any, any excuse to wear something stupid and have a laugh, I'm, I'm, I'm in. That way I can be the flamingo costume guy, like the mascot, and you guys can be the, the investor. So I found my way of, of getting involved in, in, in flamingo capital already. I love it. Perfect. It's really shirt that embodies the real spirit of flamingo capital bold yeah, exactly. courageous you know colorful innovative that's that's really where you know and so i you know i i, I want to start um you know, i mentioned a lot of your entrepreneurial adventures when we first uh, started the show i really want to try and understand what's different about starting an investment firm, a VC firm. So first off, I think it would be useful if one of you kind of defines what Flamingo Capital is. And maybe I'll, I'll start with you, Adam. And then, and then I'd like to follow up by just asking, what's different about starting your own investment firm 
when you've been a serial entrepreneur like like many of you have? Sure. So to start, Flamingo Capital itself is a syndicate and an angel syndicate. And for those of you that aren't familiar with just what an angel syndicate is, the way that that's structured is meant to allow any accredited investor. So according to the SEC, an accredited investor is uh, someone that meets any number of criteria, for instance, certain net wealth, uh, certain salary per year, etc. But any accredited investor can then apply to join and back a syndicate, which is going to provide deal flow to those LPs. And the beautiful thing about it is that those LPs and people joining that syndicate have the ability themselves to decide whether they want to invest in that deal. Maybe I like this deal a lot. I want to write a large check. Or maybe I don't like this deal at all. I want to pass on it altogether. Or maybe I want to dabble in it and write a small check. In syndicates, why they've gained a lot of popularity in general recently is because historically you just had kind of angel investors on one end and then venture funds uh, on the other end. And so as an angel investor, you had to write $25,000 checks minimum, probably $50,000 checks, and have a strong relationship with the founder in order to get into those deals and be a part of those deals. And syndicates really democratizes that by letting lots of folks, LPs, invest into the syndicate. The syndicate rolls up all those funds into a special purpose vehicle or SPV, and that is what invests in the entity and the startup company. So as a founder, we'll get to this eventually, but Chris, Will, and I are all former founders and operators, and that's one of the great things about us coming together to form Flamingo. But as an operator, it's really important as you grow in scale to keep your cap table as clean as possible and as simple as possible. You don't want 50 different uh, folks with small check sizes on your cap table complicating things. And so the syndicate simplifies that, puts that onto one line item for them, unless I manage the relationship through us as well. I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, before we ask the follow-up for the kind of other guys, had any of you in your prior entrepreneurial ventures ever had anyone from AngelList in, invest in you? Or did you, had you always gone through kind of more traditional paths? Chris, uh, Adamo, have you had any experience with uh, with Angel? Yeah, we have raised money from uh, Jason Calacanis' syndicate out in, in SF uh, a few years back. I actually met him in, in Miami of all places, and we were his first Miami investment. Uh, so we went over there, we did the whole accelerator, and then went through the uh, his syndicate, which is the biggest one back then on AngelList. Uh, and it was really cool to kind of see, like, getting, like, you know, a few hundred K from like, people I'd never met before. Uh, and basically, he runs that. So he's one point of contact, and it was very seamless. So I, mean, I saw the value of that early on. And I'm like, wow, this is a great way to raise money for a founder. And also for the investor, they're getting their own kind of like, you know, back end uh, homework done for them. That's great. And then, uh, Will, we, did you say you'd also receive some uh, money through AngelList in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, you typically want to do it through these syndicates because you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't want a bunch of lines on your cap table with like small checks, whether that's, you know, 2,500, 5,000, 10,000. These are relatively, these are big amounts for investors sometimes when they invest out of their own pocket. Uh, but collectively, as you're trying to raise millions of dollars for your company, you try to want to keep as clean of a cap table as possible, which is why these syndicates are great because you can pull together a bunch of different LPs that could really add value for the company and really roll up their sleeves. At Live Ninja, the money that we took in through AngelList syndicates, 
those LPs through that syndicate were some of our most helpful, most active investors. Uh, mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's just one line on the cap table. So really clean when you go out to raise your next round of financing. So uh, I highly recommend it. I had a great experience with it, which is why when we wanted to start our own syndicate, it was like, you know, a natural place to go first. When you look at other investors that you guys have dealt with in, in your own careers, did you find that there was a difference between, uh, I guess, the people that in, in terms of how helpful they were willing to be uh, at the angel level versus later on through some larger institutions? Or, or do you think that's ultimately about them, the individuals versus the, the, the level, if that makes sense? I'm open to any of you on that one. It, it really is on a case by case basis. It's really hard to bucket it. I mean, I've had investors that have put in $5,000 that have like been some of the most helpful in investors, more helpful than somebody that's wrote a million dollar check. Uh, so it really is kind of based on the individual and how much they believe in, in you and the company and how much they want to help. You know, I think, and, and Adam and, and Chris can attest to this, one of the things you know, we made as our core, you know, thesis of Flamingo is that, you know, hey, we're founders, we can empathize with founders. You know, we've been mm -hmm. on that side of the table, we still are on that side of the table. It's not like we, we stopped being founders, and we became investors. No, we're doing both simultaneously. So really, the the EQ and the empathy is there for entrepreneurs, we know how hard it is each and every day. So with Flamingo, like we really kind of try to practice what we preach and be helpful investors to the entrepreneur and be active. And I think you could talk to some of our portfolio companies that we already invested in. We're in frequent communication with them. Uh, you know, I would say on a minimum at a weekly basis, I'm talking with one of our portfolio companies now on a daily basis, trying to help them gear up for their next round of financing. So yeah, I think it, it varies, but you know, with us, we want to be as, as value add and as helpful as possible. So I'm, I'm going to uh, put you guys on the spot a little bit and, and uh, just let me know who you think is you know, kind of best to answer this. I'm going to ask two sides of this question. Uh, the first would be, as an entrepreneur, what advantage do you think investor, you know, entrepreneurs turned investors have versus their kind of you know, counterparts who came up through classic investing or the finance world? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. And I'm sure Chris and Will have a lot to add to it also. But I think you learn the most by doing. And it's always easy for folks to sit on one side of the table and you know go through what they've learned in business school and what they've learned coming up as an analyst and into a partner and associate, things like that, uh, and apply it to the startup side. Or maybe they came from consulting background. But you learn the most by doing. And I think that's a very founder sentence to say in general, uh, which is just do it and continue to learn while you're doing it. But there's so many intricacies and nuances and like will was saying the eq side of being a founder and and understanding that path from startup to growth to later stage that it's hard to really get that without having gone through it yourself i'd love to get will do you have an opinion on that as well i, I echo everything adam just shared i mean being an entrepreneur is brutal I mean, it is such a taxing journey and nobody can really understand how hard it is unless you go through it. It looks very glamorous from, from the outside, TechCrunch headlines, funding rounds and all that stuff. I mean, Freddie, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you've been through it as well. It's, you get your battle scars and, you know, it's like, <laughs> I think it's Elon Musk who said like being an entrepreneur is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. <laughs> I got the, the world's most masochistic endeavor if you're a serial entrepreneur and just keep going back in. 
totally. <laughs> a little totally. bit more glutton for punishment, whatever you want to call it. Totally. Also the most satisfying thing on earth for the record, at least for me anyway. I, I, yeah. I can attest to that. For sure. So Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot uh, and ask, right. flipping on the other side of the equation, what advantage have the kind of you know classic finance uh, VCP investor guys have over people that come up through the the entrepreneurial uh, path? Well, I'd imagine it'd be like other connections to other funds and, and capital. So you know, more of a deeper network probably there for them. And you know, they're probably for a full time job seeing a ton more deals than we have seen as founders. So you know, experience goes a long way. The best mix is probably having someone from both sides of the coin on a team. Um, I think that, you know, I've been going more full-time into investing the last few years and it, it kind of, I've seen that value that those folks bring. So it's for me, the last year Miami has been like a, my, my MBA in investing, which has been amazing for us. I mean, we've met the most high quality investors that I've ever dreamed of meeting in, in the span of 12 months. And you can't pay for that education anywhere else. Yeah. And the openness that I got from people here to like, you know, I'm, upfront with them and honest and you know i'm writing angel checks are smaller um and people saw that they're like you know what this person has background experience they have connections in miami and we can learn from them too as well so you know people i've met i've loved and you know my network is again 10x i think so as wills and and adams and and on a whole we're super bullish about i think what what that means to be for our you know miami world here i love that i love that and and so you you identify two things when you start a firm uh, an investment firm, and for those of you out there who are not not involved you know, in in this in this kind of realm, worth noting, you know, while I don't uh, have an investment firm, I like the Flamingo, Flamingo Capital guys. I do spend my whole life working in the P and VC world through my um, work at Chameleon Collective, and so two common themes there. If you want to be successful at this, first off, you got to be able to find money, and the second thing you got to be able to do is find deals. Now, sometimes people do that through virtue of their own network and it just happens because they get really established and they get known. And then part of that is about going out there and being able to proactively go hunt this kind of stuff down. I'd love to you know, ask, how did you build like the, I think I saw read it was over 200 LPs, could be more than that now in, in Flamingo Capital. So how do you go about even you know, building out the network to find the money, so to speak? Yeah, go ahead, Chris. It's a mix of uh, you know direct hand-to-hand combat, like just calling up and you know who, who invests in things. Say, hey, we're doing this thing. I would love to have your expertise in, in our network of, of LPs. Also, we, we our LPs become advisors too for the companies as well. So sometimes, so we want to have that uh, kind of like thing to, to lean on. And uh, you know, for us, it's also you know I think PR and marketing is a big thing. Like getting your name into the world and being you know uh, in people's eyesight, it helps. So uh, you know, we, we have done a bunch of that too. And then AngelList itself is a whole different world. I mean, it really is a very like uh, open place to market yourself to other co-syndicates. So mm-hmm. we've grown our base by having other partner syndicates kind of like co-invest in our deals with us. And that's how you kind of can grow together. And like kind of all the, 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 the ocean, you know, the, the rises, all the, the tide rises, all ships, it kind mm-hmm. of works in, in your, in your favor. So there's a lot of collaboration. And I think uh, now we're kind of in a point where we can hopefully start doing things, you know, on the other side of that coin too, and being helpful mm-hmm. to newer people too. So, you know, it's only a few months. We're, we're still babies in, in yeah, that world. Yeah, yeah. And it's just some, <laughs> There are some people who have like 5,000 LPs angels, which is, you know, wild to think about that many investors investing in deals. So yeah, a lot of growth ahead, I think. Yeah. So, so uh, I'd love to get a couple of your opinions. List. Adam, did you ever think you, if you went back to, let's call it 10 years ago, your earlier stage of your career, do you think, did you say, oh, I, I, I'm sure one day I'm going to be an investor? Yeah, absolutely not. 
I think all of us, and, and even if even if you went back five years, or uh, honestly, if you went back two years from from now, from me personally as an operator focusing on on my company, my time and efforts were just so narrowly focused on that the execution and operation that I never thought about anything else really. And so now I think I'm more at a point in my career where I'm able to uh, invest and have interest in being on the other side of the table. And we're seeing that from founders across the country, which is founders want to raise from other founders and then operators raising from more. And to go back to your earlier question a bit, every investor says that they add value. Like you'll never talk to an investor that doesn't, say that phrase like oh but like, no, not really no we're just we're just a check that's it yeah <laughs> right and so everyone says that so you have to really understand like what is what do they really mean by that and how do you really do that and i think through flamingos operators and through our lps we're able to provide expertise in a number of different fields and a number of different backgrounds that can help these companies a lot i know that's a tangent from the original question but oh ship <laughs> yeah, sure. so, you know, Chris, I know you've always been a, a bit of an angel, angel investor, uh, and you've had some, again, some really cool investments listed on your LinkedIn profile that I will uh, uh, not name drop here now. But, you know, Will, you and I, when we met, I think it was during my time at Kairos, you know, I think, well, I guess that would have been you know, close to 10 years ago now, because uh, we certainly, certainly seven or eight. Did you think you'd be an investor back then? And again, I don't mean an angel investor writing small, you know, small checks, but literally having named investment, you know, org that you were investing through. Yeah, no, probably not. At that point, definitely not, because I was just trying to hustle to get that company going and kind of scratch and claw to, to just figure out, you know, ways that, you know, we can, you know, keep, keep things moving and, and pushing the ball forward with that company as an entrepreneur. I would say, though, that as soon as I raised my first institutional capital, and I got a taste of like what unhelpful investors look like and how they could be a detriment to a company uh, at certain levels. And they, you know, these again are some folks that, you know, were part of meetings that had no operating experience whatsoever, like Adam mentioned, consulting backgrounds and things like that, that eventually became venture capitalists. It was at that moment that I was like looking, sitting back in my chair as an entrepreneur, and I'm like, just you try to be in my position and give me that advice. Like, you know, you have to sit there and take it because they're your investors, obviously. And, you know, you have a fiduciary responsibility to work with these people. But if they don't empathize with you and how much you deal with on a daily basis and, and for entrepreneurs, it's 90 percent mental. The weight mm -hmm. of being an entrepreneur and caring for all these employees and making sure you could pay their their salaries every two weeks uh, and making sure that you feel like you're going to return the capital to all these investors that believed in you much, much of the time, your friends and family at the early onsets, right? You carry this backpack with you really heavy at all times and you really need that empathy and that connection. So it was at that moment when I took my first like institutional capital and you got a lot of people that never really knew what it was like to be an entrepreneur just giving you advice on what you should do. Uh, as an operator and as an entrepreneur that I was like, you know what? I can't wait to be the investor I always wish I would have because <laughs> it's definitely not these guys, you know? So uh, I think that was the moment where I was like, yeah, I'm going to aspire to be able to invest in other companies and really help entrepreneurs knowing just what they're dealing with every single day and just having respect for people to do the tough thing. Like being an entrepreneur is extremely tough. And it's extremely mm -hmm. risky 
And you have to have the utmost respect working for entrepreneurs on a day in, day out basis. So for me, that was the moment where it shifted. I'm like, I just can't wait till I could just write my first $5,000 yeah. check, my first $10,000 check. Like, oh, one day I'll be able to write a 25K check. And, and you know, now it's like a dream working with these guys because we're able to deploy much more capital into companies and like really be that investor that we always wish we would have had. So that that's kind of when it switched for me. And I always just aspired to do that at that point. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you see whether whether it's in you know jumping from an entrepreneur to being an investor, or I've even seen, you know, obviously I've I've had some experience in the agency world where someone's like, oh, I'm a I'm a creative person or I'm in a marketer, and they go from the agency side to the brand side, and they're like, I want to be the client you know, that I always wish I had. And then what I found is in a, in a lot of cases that frankly, people don't find it as easy to be the, the dream client or the dream, whatever it was that they, you know, that they wish they had. And so that's going to expose, um, you know, I think maybe you start seeing behind the veil, maybe some of the challenges they had. Sometimes I can imagine that, you know, as an investor, there's so much deal flow, especially if you're looking at maybe earlier stage, like VC type stuff, there be so much deal flow that you realize you get kind of inundated and it's hard to respond to all the people that want to talk to you. And then you realize you're like, oh, I'm like that VC guy who never responded to me ever and used to make me, you know, make me feel disrespected or, or whatever. So it's, it's, a, it's a hard um, challenge to have. Um, I can tell you that in my own personal experience, uh, if you had gone back, you know, 15, 20 years ago in my career and said, one day, you know, you're going to work deeply, deeply, deeply in the private equity space. Not only when I have laughed and said, no, I actually am not even sure to actually first I would have laughed. I think my first response would have been, what's private equity? Uh, so, so disconnected from this world. But yeah, you know, yeah, here we are. So, you know, so I have to ask, you know, I'm going to go back to you again uh, really quick, Will. When you think about that, you know, you, you, there's a point in your career where you would have never, ever said, hey, I would be, I've been an investor. And all of a sudden, you know, here you are. I know that obviously you've had an exit and you're, you're all of you have, I think, had your financial means increased. So there's one part of it that said, Hey, yes, I'm in a place where I can participate in the investment community. But I think it's more than that. And I was going to ask, like, what, what's changed? Is, is investing become more accessible? Is the industry evolved? Like, I'd love to know if there's other things that made it possible for you to get to this place that you're at today. Yeah, I'll actually hand it off to Adam because Adam has a kind of just a good vantage point on just kind of the democratization of just investing in general and just how people, uh, you know, have changed their mindset about being risk takers and investing and things like that. But before I, I hand it off to him, I would say that just like, yeah, I think, you know, there there has been and first of all, yeah, sure, we've had some exits and things like that. But don't get us wrong, like we're still hungry, we're still scrapping, we still want to make a difference and we still need to work, you know, for, you know, helping these entrepreneurs and really make a name for ourselves as investors that can be helpful, right? We want to make sure that, you know, that while we are seeing great deal flow and we are seeing great opportunities that, you know, again, capital's democratized these days. Fr frankly, it is. There's a lot of it out there. Uh, and, and our goal kind of with Flamingo is to kind of be as helpful as possible. And, and with that said, there there is a great, kind of shift that's happening is terms of just like making investments uh, more democratized and more accessible to what Freddie, you and I are used to, or what Adam and Chris were used to just 10 years ago, uh, especially in the Miami tech scene and what a, you know, kind of a environment that was for capital. So Adam, I remember we were on a, another show just a, a few weeks ago and you had a great response regarding this. So I'll, oh, what I'll did I say that. then? Uh, it must have been really good. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Regurgitate that amazing thing you did. 
that you don't remember. Do it now. Do it now, Adam. Something about this being the most risk-taking yeah. generation, right? Yeah. I, I was going to say that that I think at a at a macro level, you know, this this current generation is the most risk tolerant uh, generation in in history, where entrepreneurship has never been uh, more accessible. I think to any number of folks, and a lot of that's due to the tools that we have today. I mean, versus even three or four years ago, that enable folks to become entrepreneurs. Are just so powerful, and that can be tools like Bubble. You know, it could be tools like Wix. It could be tools like. Well, I mean, I mean even if, frankly, even Mailchimp, like they, that marketing automation platform they have now, like people want to charge you like fifty grand a year for that five years ago. Tons of stuff, no code tools. You yeah. can build apps exactly. on the fly. So that that allows for you to deploy like MVPs faster than ever before. Be able to continue to pivot and find that product market fit eventually. Um, faster and easier than ever before. And so that allows more and more folks to say that they want to take that entrepreneurial journey and they don't have to raise millions and millions of capital up front. Maybe they want to raise more strategic capital in the early days that can help build those bridges that they need and form those partnerships and you know, integrations with third parties that they need in order to be successful. And, and I think then that comes back to this syndicate realm that's gaining in popularity, which is Okay, now that we have more startups and more entrepreneurs, you have another tailwind from COVID that's come in in terms of democratizing access to meeting folks. The Zoom conference and Zoom meeting of startups is so much easier now than ever before. I'm sure Will, Chris, and I can go through any numbers of stories where we always have to fly from Miami to San Francisco or to New York or Boston or Austin. Now it's completely the opposite, which is very uh, mind-blowing to me. But in general, you have a generation that is more risk tolerant, uh, looking to raise more and looking to do so from individuals that they trust and individuals that they feel uh, can bring more strategic value to their their company. I have to ask. So, uh, you know, all of us have raised money at different parts of our career. You know, the last time I did it was quite a long time ago. That it was it was you know, eight, eight, nine years ago when I was you know going out and doing it for my, my old startup guide which was a Miami startup and a tech startup as, as well. And, uh, you know, I feel like when I used to go to San Francisco to go raise money, that it was like, where are you based? And I had to be Miami. And then it was like, it was, a, I don't want to say it was an embarrassment because I love Miami, but I knew that it was a negative and that I had to work extra hard to try and prove to them that I was credible. Does that, does that apply anymore? Or is that out the window? It's now it's the opposite. Yeah, we're bringing out for my company, and the first question we ask is, "Who's investing from Miami on the cap table?" Which you go back three years ago, they'd be like, "No one wants to see investor from Miami on the cap table at all," which is just a total one hundred and eighty. Yeah. So this is when you're you're not in Miami. They're gonna they want to know who else in Miami is backing you. Basically, no, if you if if you if you're based in Miami and no one in Miami is investing in you, it's like a huge red flag. It's like, well, if people in, in Miami aren't oh, going to give you money, of course, yeah, out. that's amazing. It's like if you can't raise money now, like you're really a lost cause. And uh, it's it's kind of true actually. If you can't, you know, if you're a local setup, not getting money from Miami, and you're in Miami. You know, you're, you're, you're not enough, doing right? your job I mean, right. You're, you're not getting out. Yeah, who's vouch you can vouch for you, right? These are the people that know you and should know you and your network. Uh, that's that's really interesting. Anyone else seen anything? You know, else I guess you know talking about Bay Area is is Bay Area uh, not as cool 
the same or I can't imagine more cool, but like, you know, is it, is, do you think they're actually diminished at this point or is it just kind of like, ah, it's, it's status quo for if you're a San Francisco company? My personal opinion is it's still, you know, top three most important kind of region in, in the country. It's not going away anytime soon. You're still going to have world-class, you know, engineering talent that's coming out of Stanford. And then you have all the major tech companies that are hubbed there, you mm-hmm. know, like Google and Facebook and Palo Alto and, it, it's not going away and it doesn't need to go away, frankly. Uh, it, you know, it, th- what's happening is I think it's beyond Miami. It's it's effectively the rise of everywhere at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Miami. And you, is- you argue that's because, uh, and again, Community Collective is a completely virtual, you know, no, you know, no location company. And so, you know, ours kind of thing is like talent without borders. So now it, does, right. it just doesn't really matter where you're at anymore. And I think COVID made that acceptable. Do you think that's basically what's impacting this, especially with tech companies, frankly? I think that's right. And I think the reason Miami has been such a huge winner in all of this is because if, frankly, work has become location agnostic and companies had to accept after the pandemic that if they want the best talent to stay with them, they're going to have to be flexible. And people, Mm -hmm. frankly, love flexibility in their life and they like to pick and choose if and when they go to the office. And a lot of people want to work from home. So with that, if you don't, have to live where you work, you get to choose where you want to live. And Miami mm-hmm. will always be in the top five of that conversation every time oh, yeah. or South, <laughs> South Florida in general. You know what I mean? No state income tax, beautiful weather, incredible culture. Uh, the list goes on and on. So Miami, once that conversation shifted to, okay, I don't have to be in a certain city because that company is based in you know, at, you know, Chicago or Ohio or Texas or whatever, you get to choose where you live. A lot of people are going to want to go to Miami. Uh, same thing happens with, with Austin, Texas. You're seeing that being a, a, a rising region as well. And I think you also see people going to live closer to their families, wherever their families are from, whether that be overseas or in the Midwest, because they could still work for these big Fortune 500 technology companies and be closer to where they want to be. So Miami has obviously been the big winner, I think, mm-hmm. of that shift. And I think it will continue to compound on that those winnings. Uh, got an incredible mayor as the spokesperson and and the head of marketing for the city. He's doing a phenomenal <laughs> job, uh, really doing a terrific job, kind of writing the playbook of what a, a modern day mayor should be doing on behalf of their I city. Agree, for the record, um, that's yeah. and yeah, I think that's what's happening. And and mm-hmm. you know, we all have to kind of evolve with the times and that's why you mm-hmm. see venture capitalists like all the big venture capital firms are setting up shop in miami while also doing th- their deals location agnostically you saw this trend happening i think a little bit even before covid where mm-hmm. investment firms were like look you had to be in the valley you had to be in new york you had to be here and things shifted but the the, the pandemic was like taking a can of gasoline and mm-hmm. pouring it on bonfire it basically took probably five to 10 years of evolution of those trends. In, mm-hmm. you know, in, I, in I actually think the big one you might see over the next couple of years as well is actually even more uh, a massive increase in, in the rural areas. We're already seeing, you're seeing a lot of you know people moving there, but I think especially in the tech scene, the only limiting factor for people like us is basically good quality internet access. And, right. you know, and I, I'd be very comfortable living you know, out in the country if I could you know, get, at least a couple hundred megs a second, which I should be able to get with Starlink and things like that. I'm very spoiled on my fiber right now, but I, I, uh, I'd be perfectly happy with uh, some you know, Starlink access. <laughs> so, so, hey, you know, I want to ask one more question about Flamingo Capital, and then, and then I'd like to dive back into the Miami tech scene some more. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be O'Ship 
if I didn't ask if you guys had any kind of oh ship moments along the way. And as a reminder, you know, for me, that is about, you know, a challenging moment where maybe you didn't think it was going to happen. Things started to go wrong. Things felt a little pear shape. And, you know, whether it was just something, obviously you survived through those and, and maybe it was something you learned along the way. Maybe it was something that you know, inspired you uh, in, in the way the business runs out. And frankly, it doesn't even have to be any of that could be just a little funny and it's amazing that you guys you know you know, got to where you did while navigating that that uh that curveball so any, anything that you guys can or, or open to admitting on the on a ship today about about that journey Adama, what you got i don't hey it's all went so well nothing was smooth as ice but you know good for you guys i'll take it it's been really amazing. I mean, we were learning a lot at every deal we do. I think, uh, well, our first deal we did, we didn't have a partner on it. So if you remember, we had to like, like kind of go and like make a bunch of phone calls. Like, hey, do you want to put money in this deal? Like we were like basically like a stockbroker for a couple of days <laughs> trying to do our first allocation, <laughs> which was like, oh, shit, what the, uh, we got we to gotta get on the phone. So that was kind of fun. Uh, we ended yeah. up actually raising more than we had. So it ended up being great. Uh, but, you know, it kind of taught us, hey, let's get a partner on board for the, to do the early deals together. So, yeah. you know, learn that first time. Yeah, that's, I think that, that's a big one. My, my oh, shit moment is like, you know, we're syndicating, you know, we have a bunch of LPs that, that are, you know, putting money, you know, on behalf of Flamingo Capital into these startups. And I think what Adam, Chris and I are quickly realizing, I'll speak for myself, is like, I'm like, I see these deals and I want to put more of my own money into it personally. So then I have to like quickly kind of move money around. I'm like, wow, this entrepreneur is incredible. Not, you know, we invest our own dollars personally into Flamingo Capital yeah. as the syndicate. So I'm like, all right, gonna sell this stock because this entrepreneur is awesome. Like I didn't think yeah, my, I, my, I, I have the the real the real money manager in my house. My wife basically puts the kibosh and she's like, You're cut off. No more no more angel investing this for like the rest of the year. You're done. I think that's it's an yeah, and I think that's an important Same. distinction of like what we do at Angel <laughs> Capital is like we have to put our own personal dollars into it. It's not like, hey, we're just investing on behalf of LPs. So we do put in, we set a minimum amount that each of us have to put in for each deal. But then sometimes one of us gets super excited that we're like, we need to put in more. And then, you know, it's kind of like a scramble to kind of sell some stock and things like that to back this entrepreneur even further, you know? A random question. Is there such a thing, you know, the old like the 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 joke about drug dealers don't get high on your own supply? You know, if you if you've got access to capital, does this do you find yourself daydreaming about more entrepreneurial ventures? Because that's my problem. I, I come up with like a new business idea like every 48 hours. It's a problem. And I have to like calm myself down on it, like talk myself off the ledge on an almost monthly basis at this point about something I get excited about. So or do you have any of that? You're like we could just talk to the LPs. We could go do this. You're like, no, calm down, calm down. Any, any of that kind of yes. antics going with you guys? <laughs> I think all of us have like 10 side products right now. So we keep adding more and more things. To our side products and it's like a, it's like 10 full-time jobs, which is amazing. Cause like, we're really excited about these spaces that we're working in. I, I actually credit Will with like getting me into the whole like blockchain cryptocurrency world because what his pitch project he's working on, if he wants to talk about it or not, but I loved it. And I was like, Oh man, this is such a cool way to kind of like build communities and build like in, in, engagements with people. And I just love it so much. I think, I, I think, our investing kind of like may go that that route too, you know. As I'm seeing more and more of these founders who are doing things, there's just so much more blue sky out there for these people to build in, in this back end world that I think is a newer kind of like space. So yeah, lots. So, so let's use that. That's a great segue. Let's jump back to Miami Tech scene. 
we seem to be getting quite a good reputation for cryptocurrency down here for for whatever every re, reason or the whole blockchain space would probably be more accurate. Um, obviously, Will, you're in the NFT space. Could you talk to us a little bit about uh, you know how you feel like that that kind of sub segment of the Miami tech scene is is emerging? And, for, and by oh, the way, feel free to talk a little bit more around around your studio. I'd love to hear more about it. And I'm sure audience would as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, real quick. The, the company that I co-founded is called OnChain Studios. I actually co-founded it with two of my co-founders from Live Ninja, Emilio Cueto. Awesome. And That's great. Getting the band back together. <laughs> the band back together and, and along with uh, with Freddie and JT, our other two co-founders. And uh, so so there's this, uh, this trend in toys called blind bags or surprise unboxings that became the hottest segment of the toy industry. Uh, companies generating billions in revenue. Effectively, they are physical slot machines for kids like inside you buy a little square or an egg or a cube for like 20 30 bucks and inside is a random toy uh some are awesome. more rare than others so it's kind of like basketball cards but for yeah toys. it's cool yeah, yeah it's great so i've spent uh tons of money on that stuff and uh i created a little side project for my daughter that basically made a digital version of that toy and uh that side project that i started for victoria has taken off and started this company called Cryptoys, which is basically we're building in a, a digital toy company. Like if you think of a company like Hasbro or Mattel, if that company was started today and they were fully NFT native and digital first, what would it look like? And that's that's what we're building uh, with that company. So that, that's uh, been fun. I, uh, again, as a 43 uh, year old man who still uh, watches this fair share anime and loves toys, uh, vintage toys, like so, uh, I, I, so kids or no kids, I geek out on this stuff. Uh, where can I go find out more about that? Oh, looks like our, our producers put it up on the screen. Uh, crypt toys twenty one t dot io. Crypt toys. Yep, check us out. Uh, and the way I like to kind of describe what we're building there is, if you think of a company like Mattel meets Pixar meets Nintendo, it's one part a toy company, one part an entertainment company, one part a video game company. So we're doing something really unique. We have some big news to announce in the next like 30 days or so. So, so thank you for allowing me to talk about it. But as it relates to, to zoom out a bit to the Miami tech scene and, and blockchain uh, in general, I don't know if you could make it's It's in the top three of the hottest crypto hubs in the world. I would say New York is 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 really a hotbed for for crypto innovation yeah. and blockchain and miami's right there along with it like neck and neck as far as in, in the united states obviously san francisco if you want to you know, talk about the stuff going on there but the visibility i see in, into new york and what's happening in miami you have a very crypto friendly mayor uh so uh you know like he's really kind of pushing forward on a lot of initiatives making sure that there's like mining friendly regulations and things like that for, for miners to set up shop then uh, you might have saw in in the news uh there is the miami coin which recently launched i didn't actually uh, see that miami coin represent i love it so what's what's the backstory on that yeah i i probably won't be able to do it full justice but effectively they've created a little uh a coin that has kind of incentives tied to the city that that citizens and, and and residents of uh, miami-dade county are able to partake in and do certain things utility wise with miami coin uh they basically kind of crowdfunded in essence from people that wanted to participate in the deployment of this new coin i think it was over five million dollars that got initially raised and, and and given to the city of miami mm -hmm. for a lot of things that it needed and now that that coin is being utilized in a lot of different ways which you can read about uh if you just search for miami coin there was a lot of press on it so awesome. These are just some of the things 
Uh, Art Basel, which is coming up in a couple months, yeah. is going to be a huge, going to have huge blockchain and NFT themes around it. Mm -hmm. so you'll see a lot of the crypto world kind of converging. We just had in Wynwood, there was the, the Bitcoin conference, which kind of everybody in crypto came to. If you're in blockchain and crypto, you need to have a presence in Miami mm -hmm. at some point, I think. You need to make sure you're there on a quarterly basis at a minimum. What do you think started it? Like, I had suspected at one point that it was like the proximity to Puerto Rico, where there was a lot of people were kind of hanging out there. Some of the big whales were hanging out down there at some point. And maybe it just stuck and then something proper grew around it. Or, or do you think it was something else? I mean, I'll let the rest of the guys talk to it, but I think it, it goes back to, to, I think, having the environment where disruption is welcome. Like, if you see the, the messages that the mayor puts out, it's just like, we want innovation. We are, you know, like, Miami is a disruptive city in the best way possible. Like, mm -hmm. there is all of this, this stuff with crypto. It scares the big banks. It scares a bunch of incumbents. Mm -hmm. And Miami is building a reputation on being very forward thinking and creating an environment where these people are welcome. Like, you know, you have like all of the big crypto folks, you know, the door is open down at City Hall and there, there is just this welcome nature. And, you know, even even as good as what's happening in, in New York and the crypto scene there is phenomenal. There's still a lot of regulations that New York has put a lot of blocks for for crypto entrepreneurs and cryptocurrencies in general with regulations around, you know, taking crypto in New York, there was like the bit license stuff that happened mm -hmm. and everything like that. So I just think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a welcoming environment for entrepreneurs. As you saw, FTX made a big announcement. They moved an office there. They bought the naming rights to the American airlines arena. So it's the first. Really glad the uh, second place winners didn't win. That would have been pretty awkward. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. It was bang bros that make for a pretty <laughs> massive oh shit moment. I just that I can't imagine the, you know, the news agencies reporting on uh, the concert of bang bros arena or whatever. That would have been a big oh shit for sure. Um, yeah, oh I think it's, I think foundationally, it's it's the welcoming nature of disruption. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I got a couple more, couple more questions for you guys. When you think about uh, how this, you know, the, the Miami tech scene is evolving right now, wh what do you think is having, a, uh, like, if you think about like the most interesting things or evolution or people making an impact over the last, let's call it like even, not even 12 months, six months, would you say it's the injection of some of the people that have come from outside who brought a lot of energy and passion and connections and access to money and all the stuff we talked about, or would you, would you say it's the, the people that have been here for a long time and because they've had that spark of those relationships and all that stuff that comes in from those external people have kind of flourished maybe in a way that they've never been able to before. Does that make sense? I'd love, uh, I guess let's, uh, let's start with you, Chris, what's your, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, we've all met and been enthralled by like what we've seen, who's coming to Miami, basically has given us like the, you know, MBA for 12, 12 months of how to do investing, right? And how to like, you know, get involved in that in, in a greater scheme of thing. It also gave me the, like me personally, like the, the confidence to do it. Like, you know, I'm seeing folks just say, hey, just go try it. Like, go, you're smart. You can do this. Like, I needed some really like, kind of like, give me that like installation, but you, you, you can go do this. I'm seeing people around me do it. So I, right, you know, let's try it. But yeah, I think it's, it's definitely that. Has anyone from outside the city come in and tried to disrupt your shirt game or do you still kind of own that brand <laughs> in South Florida? 
I'm holding it down still. I don't, no one's really okay. trying to take I'm it. Yeah, we wouldn't really. tolerate any of that nonsense. We'd band together and, and have a chat with them. <laughs> so uh, I'd love to get Adam, what's, what's your take on that, yeah. that same question? Yeah, uh, going back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, you have the, the COVID tailwinds were the genesis of, of a lot of this, right? And so Miami was really a winner in terms of really talented individuals moving here and impacting the city. And I've always said that, you know, startup ecosystems are, are much like any two-sided market on uh, which are challenges always. And on one side of that market, you have um, investors. And on the other side, you have startup founders and each want to see the other side there before they move there. Right. That's always like the startup founder problem, like speedy tab. Great. We have users, but they want to know how many restaurants we have on the platform. And the restaurants want to know how many users we have on the platform. And so it's very much chicken in the egg. And so how do you attack a two-sided market is really the question. In my history, it's been going after the top, top tier of one side of that market will attract the other side and then the flywheel effects then so all the pieces are coming together. So, you know, Miami saw that with some big names moving here early on in the pandemic. And those names happen to be uh, loud about mm. their move here and their happiness here. And whether that's for tax implications or weather or uh, any number of factors, they were loud and happy about it. And that really started this flywheel of, okay, now more entrepreneurs are coming because there's investors here. And then those investors talk to other investors and then this flywheel just started and started. And in the, in the past, Miami is known and still Miami is known as very much a, a hype and PR town for better or for worse. Right. And in the past, Miami's uh, kind of fallen victim to that in, in other attempts of when we've become like the next wave of startups. And so I think people were anticipating this to kind of die off after some amount of time. But I mean, I was at a Miami Tech happy hour last night where there were hundreds of folks and Chris Adamo organizes that event, by the way. So shout out, Chris has done an amazing job, uh, is the ultimate networker of Miami. And through these kinds of events, it's September, you know, in the summer and these slow months, slow months of Miami and the crowds are just as big as they would be during like Art Basel. And so to me, it's really phenomenal. And beyond kind of the folks that have moved here, the other side of that coin is that there's been a concerted effort from the OGs of Miami to integrate newcomers and folks that have been here together so that everyone feels welcome. And I think when you talk to folks that are new to Miami, one of the common denominators is that they will talk about how welcome they feel in this community. And that's not a mistake. And folks like Chris and and will have really gone out of their way to make sure that we can pull these sides together and not just have a silo of folks from Silicon Valley and a silo of folks that have been in Miami and they both kind of operate in their own little worlds. It's really about putting us together. Someone at the happy hour told me that Miami has uh, soft elbows, which was a phrase that I really liked. Uh, what does that mean? Soft elbows. That people in Silicon Valley and in New York and other markets tend to have uh, hard help. Everyone's kind of uh, fighting bumping each other out of the way all the time, kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. And so Miami softened that a bit. Where there's much more. I mean, I know it's a key hype word, but a community feel here 
I think is an important aspect in building, you know, any kind of new startup. And Miami as a startup ecosystem is a startup in and of itself. And so it's important to have that community element to it. I had to tell you guys, uh, you know, I, just, I have a lot of admiration and appreciation for, for what you're doing. Um, you know, while I've been building internet related companies in South Florida since not to date myself, but literally I started my ISP in 1996. Um, so I've been doing the, the tech thing down here for a long time, as I've noted on the show, you know, kind of multiple times before. I've never been great about, I'm always friendly and I'm friends with everyone, but I've never been great about being a really integrated part of the community. And weirdly enough, with Camille and Collective and having a company kind of with no physical location, you know, I, I work with people literally all over the US and all the world, uh, world every single day. I, frankly, I wish I was a better citizen in Miami. I, I think there's nothing stopping me from doing that now, but I have a ton of respect for what you guys are doing. I love the fact that people know about you guys. They see you as ambassadors. They respect and appreciate what you're doing. I hear other people talking about it, and, and I think it's super admirable. And I think all of us on this call uh, right now are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, if you know what I mean, and we're all about helping other people that are on their own entrepreneurial journey. But you guys are really leaned in effectively on doing that for the Miami community and and um, and I respect you immensely for it. So so hats off to all, all three of you. Um, I've got one last question for you uh, today as we kind of come to the end of, of this week's OSHIP. And I'd love to understand, you know, how do you, we talked about kind of our addiction to new, new ideas and new entrepreneurial ventures. How do you balance uh, the entrepreneurial ventures and Flamingo Capital. How do you balance you know, all of these things happening at the same the same time? Uh, let's start with you first, Will. Yeah, sure. I actually think that's one of the reasons I love being an investor is because mm -hmm. you get to have your hands in so many different exciting things that it satisfies the need. Like a lot of us are kind of ADHD to a fault. You know, we're creatives that just want to kind of do a bunch of different things and create and just make things happen. So I think like when you meet entrepreneurs and you resonate with their ideas and you want to support them, it satisfies the need for what would be maybe a side project. For, for me personally, again, I'm running a company. Thankfully, we're growing. We've got a lot of stuff to ship. I'm, I'm heads down building it. But effectively, what's replaced other things in my life is now this. So like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You see this as a growing trend. Founders also doing investing on the side. It depends on what else they're giving up to make time for that. If instead of watching three hours of Netflix, they're doing angel investing, I think that's absolutely terrific. So I literally have no time for video games. I got no time for Netflix. Everybody talks about shows. I have no idea what's going on <laughs> for me. If it's either my and you, company- And you got kids, which people have to remember is like another full-time job on its own, right? Yeah. 100%, listen, for me personally, and, and, and the rest of the guys can speak to it, I have three buckets of my life professionally. Yeah. Professionally. I have on-chain studios, which takes up the majority of my time. I got Flamingo Capital, and I have the Local Leaders Collective, which is a group of entrepreneurs, a peer support group for entrepreneurs that, that I, I run with some other folks down in Miami with support from the Knight Foundation. So if it doesn't fall into one of those three buckets, I say no to it. It's just, it's just for me doing it. But like through the Flamingo Capital bucket, I get all of this kind of excitement of helping other entrepreneurs. I get my fix. Exactly. <laughs> Of what typically would be like something, oh, this has to be a side project. So that's why I love it. And, you know, that's how I channel that energy through helping entrepreneurs through Flamingo. And uh, Chris Adamo, what's, what's your take? How do you how do you balance all these different um, initiatives from Flamingo Capital to your entrepreneurial ventures and your, your Uber networking, to quote the other guys? 
Yeah. I also have two little babies. I have a six month old and a two year old. So a lot right. of this stuff right. happens after hours or like at five in the morning when I'm like feeding a bottle to somebody. So a lot of multitasking many things at once. So yeah, it, it takes a, a delicate balance. And I think, yeah, all my investing now is going through Flamingo or other Angelist syndicates. So, you know, it's been really fun to do it that way. And then the community stuff is just like, that's my social time. So if it can be social, it's going to be for a reason. You get your social fix, but you're also doing a bit of work at the same time. And, hey, nothing's better than mixing, uh, you know, uh, work and pleasure if, 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 if it makes you happy, you know? That's great. What's amazing, you know, the last year or so, like the Miami Tech community just like got like, uh, like kickstarted again. And like now all of us hang out together. We really didn't hang out a lot before the last two years of quarantine. And I think of being at home for a year, we we're like, wow, all these folks I know in Miami, I haven't really made time to like become friends with them, like really friends. And now I could say like, I can count like 500 friends now in Miami. They're all founders or investors that before they were loose connections. And now they're very, very tight connections, which I think is amazing. So, you know, I don't know the end act of God, how to happen, how to happen, but you know, hey, I'm happy it did in some weird way. Uh, and I think we're better for it now going forward. That's awesome. And Adam, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, what's, what's your take? Yeah, I think there's always a saying that I love, which is if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And so I, I think there's there's a part of me that thinks there's enough hours in the day always to kind of cram as much stuff into it as you want to cram into it. Yeah. And so where nights and weekends are for, like Will was mentioning, whatever passion projects you have, one of the great things for the most part about Flamingo is it can fit into whatever time slot that we can get it to fit into. And so for myself that, uh, you know, I've gotten used to like not really taking a lunch, for instance, over the last decade of running Speedy Tab, where people would normally be taking lunch or when people would normally be watching, like I want to watch Squid Game so bad on Netflix, but... Uh, to be honest, that one's worth that one's worth finding some time for. It is yeah. it's really good. You know, <laughs> Make it happen. It's there, and I hear the talk, but it's just like like Will was mentioning. Yeah. Other things are replacing that at the time. So yeah. um, you find the time in different slots where maybe you'd be working on less productive things. I love it. Well, guys, I, I think that's a great a great place to uh, end this week's O Ship. Uh, you know, we had a really great conversation. It was so good to get all of your different opinions. I love hearing about your entrepreneurial journey and obviously how you've translated that into starting uh, a Miami, you know, original investment firm. And and uh, uh, I'd do anything I can to support you guys along the way. And I know that this will continue to grow and evolve in some really exciting ways for you. For those of you who've been watching or listening, uh, you know, on our live social feeds or uh, listening via our new audio podcast, I thank you for your support of OSHIP. Uh, the best thing you can do to continue to support us is tell your friends, share this on your social feeds, give us a like, give us a follow, whatever the respective platform may be. Um, you know, again, OSHIP is something we do just because we love it. We love bringing all these kind of great people together so that you get a chance to meet them and hear their stories. And again, the best thing you can do to support us is just to give us that acknowledgement and, and spread the good word. If you're looking for new ways to consume OSHIP, visit OSHIPshow.com and you'll have quick links to all of the video platforms that we uh, stream the show on, whether it's for our live show or to watch it after the fact on any of the audio platforms that we share our newly released audio podcast on. We'll also see links inside the social feeds today of how you can learn more about all of our guests, whether it's Will, Adam or Chris. Uh, so thank you guys. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, it was great to see your face. And uh, thank you again for supporting the Miami tech scene. And for all of you out there, thank you again for supporting OSHIP. 
The O Ship Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead, scale, and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O Ship Show.